0: Hey team, Joe here. Today, I'm bringing you an episode from a different podcast called Your Blank, What Now? It's hosted by a friend of mine, Marcy Nettles, and every week she interviews people who have gone from trauma to triumph, pain to purpose, and healed to hurt. And I had the privilege of sitting down with her and sharing my story. And we went into deep waters discussing trauma, my very near miss with suicide, parenting kiddos with emotional difficulties, building resilience, and a whole bunch of other stuff that I think will really give you a lot of value in your healing journey. So hit the links in my show notes to listen to and subscribe to Your Blank What Now. And without further ado, here's my interview with Marcy. Enjoy.
1: Never before have people been so broken, confused, sick, controlled, lost, and hopeless, feeling completely alone. The Yurt Blank What Now podcast is here to show you that no matter where you find yourself right now, you are not alone. Others have traveled the path before you, and you are part of a community of people that have faced the choice to either break down or break through on the journey from chaos to joy. If they can do it, so can you. Welcome to the Your Blank What Now podcast. And now, here's your host, Marcy Nettles. Hey there, what now tribe? This is Marcy. I wanted to hop in here real quick and let you know that this is gonna be part one of a two part story that we're gonna be sharing. We're gonna be really focusing and put an emphasis on PTSD and trauma that so many people experience and don't know how to deal with it, especially the emotional part. Well, our amazing guest Joey Specter is going to share very vulnerably his personal story, as well as the things that he has learned that has helped him heal and to be able to bring his family through it with him. So I'm very excited for you to be able to hear both of these parts: part one and part two. With the episode title being "You're Sitting with a Gun in Your Mouth, What Now?" Remember to go to marcynettles.com forward slash freebies you pick up the freebie that joey will be offering to you it's going to be a very valuable resource for yourself and potentially for many people that you care about thank you so much for being here well hello and welcome back to the your blank what now podcast my name is Marcy nettles and i am so excited to be your host today this show is all about bringing you stories stories that I personally believe save lives, because it's all about being in difficult circumstances, finding ways to dig your way out and come into the light and get out of those hard times, and then sharing what you have learned to help someone else that might be in their own difficulty. And so I am so excited for my guest today. I've actually known this guy for quite a while, but we just really kind of reconnected. I've been watching some of the journey he's been on. And I just respect and honor him so, so very much. So Joey Spector is a retired firefighter who became a podcaster, author, and meditation emotional fitness teacher after a very close call with suicide and a subsequent hard-fought transformation to radical wellness, unshakable happiness, and indestructible resiliency. His mission is to teach how emotional and mental fitness is just like physical fitness and just as important, to normalize and destigmatize the sharing and processing of emotions and experiences and mental health struggles, to authentically share his own experiences and offer the guidance, tools, and resources needed to maximize your happiness when times are good, overcome any obstacle when times are tough. And crush goals like a total boss. So I am so excited to be able to welcome you to the show today, Joey. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Marcy, hi. First of all, thank you for having me. Secondly, That was an incredible introduction. Oh my gosh, you made my head swell up and gave me goosebumps. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Well, you totally deserve it. And you are so, so welcome. It's like, I think back and and by the way, guys, I call him Joey. Um, You might see him out there on social as Joe, but you know, he'll always be kind of Joey to me because it's like, I first met him. You were like 20, 21 years old.
0: Just had turned 21. Yeah.
1: Holy crap. 20 20 years ago. Right. Oh my gosh. Holy crap. That is, oh my gosh. So we worked actually at the f- same police department for a while, and I met him when he first got hired and when he was first new out of the academy, and I am just honored to be sitting here with you today. Um, Can you please start off by sharing with the What Now Tribe a little bit more about who Joey is and maybe what your childhood was like?
0: Yes, and I'm honored to be here as well. Thank you. Um, so I grew up in a typical, like, 1980s latchkey kid type childhood so i didn't have any sort of child abuse or anything like that but i also didn't have any sort of emotional nurturing or anything like that either it was pretty much roaming the streets of an urban lower income neighborhood um i learned my education on those streets so i kind of got a lot of street smarts and situational awareness but uh no like my children get a lot of emotional nurturing and education and conversation and they have big old feelings that was pretty much put to the side. And I was just kind of running around raising myself with my friends on bikes and TV and kind of roaming some mean streets. And um but I was a very happy go lucky, uh high ambition kid. So I was um an unknowing people pleaser. But I, I did a lot of um I, my parents never were on me, but I hustled in school and I grinded in grades and uh at extracurriculars and things like that. And um as I uh I, I went to NAU for college, and I jumped into their three-year degree program because I did a ride-along on the police department, and I knew that right when I turned 21, I wanted some action and adventure, so I graduated college in two and a half years, turned 21, got hired on the police department, and that's where we connected.
1: Wow, yeah, so I totally understand that latchkey thing <laughs> in the separation of the emotional bonding that really happened during that area and has not stopped. It hasn't changed up until now. And so that's why I think that this conversation that we're going to have is going to be so vitally important for so many people, because there's generations of people that are going to be affected the same way you were, because we were not, um, and a lot of us are not, completely connected to what emotions are and what we can do with them. So you really have lived like for the last two decades as a first responder. And that's a really interesting life to live in the first place but as a police officer and as a fireman, um, how did you handle the stresses of both of those careers?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And you brought up a really good point about emotional disconnection. I I had no awareness of emotions at all. And um, I did four years as a police officer and almost 12 years as a firefighter. And up until the point where I didn't handle my calls and my trauma that I had experienced well, I handled it great it it had zero effect on me and that's kind of part of why i'm trying to reach out to people because it can really catch you slipping i went on so many drowning calls did cpr on babies um do you remember the jerry street apartments i ran a drive-by shooting there this 14 year old kid who i had been mentoring ended up getting uh real quickly is uh i don't want to get too graphic and talking about calls and stuff is it okay to disclose details of Uh, trauma and stuff like that. I don't want to trigger anybody before I get into that.
1: Well, let's keep it, let's say PG-13.
0: Perfect. Okay, so uh, a young man had been shot who I had formed a bond with and his mother was crying over him and I had to pull her off and check for pulse. A lot of traumatic things that quite honestly had zero effect on me. I could go back to the station, go back to the tunes. I wasn't uh, cold. I had empathy. I felt bad for people, but I could move, move forward. No problem until a set of circumstances happened in my life. And then all of that stuff had accumulated subconsciously and it hit me like a ton of bricks. So to answer your question, I handled it without a problem until I couldn't.
1: Oh, it totally makes sense. And it resonates. Um, I think it's one of those things that it's, it takes a special person to be a first responder, first of all. Um, But unfortunately, sometimes that special person is someone that has not developed the emotional quotient that we're going to be talking about here in a little bit or real understanding that there is more than two emotions. Um, You know, we had this conversation before about how you didn't know, and I didn't know, and I didn't find out until I was in my forties in a marriage class that there was more than two emotions, right? Um, So what did you really know about emotions during that time of your life? Did you know more than, um, well, I'm sure you know more now than you did then.
0: (laughs) I definitely know more now than I did then. I, I was entirely unaware of the emotional spectrum. I, I think a lot of it has to do with my temperament and my childhood and having that stuff turned down and defense mechanisms, but I'm naturally a very happy go lucky high energy guy. So I was always happy, always bubbly until I wasn't. And then I was mad. And then I would punch holes in walls and I would yell. And a lot of this stuff is embarrassing. I would scream at my wife, who was my girlfriend and my fiance at the time. Um, I've since mitigated that made amends, changed all of that. But like, as a young man who's full of testosterone, who was never given any guidance, I had two switches, I had happy and pissed off. And I didn't even think to put them in those terms, because I didn't have an emotional vocabulary. So I never was labeling it like I feel good, I'm happy, I'm high energy. And now I'm angry. But a lot of times anger is like an iceberg. There's shame, there's embarrassment, there's childhood trauma, all that stuff under the surface. And you just get the tip of the iceberg if you're not aware of it. And I think that's where I was at with it. So I had really no knowledge. I, I, it's easy for me to piece it together in retrospect and I can paint a picture for you. But I was entirely oblivious to emotions at the time.
1: Yeah, well, that's why they say hindsight is twenty twenty, 20 right? Um, and then when it comes down to those calls that you went on, I recall, I remember, I mean, it's like you show up to fatal accidents and it's like you are there to do a job and you have that hat on. And so you just do what has to be done. You can't let it affect you right and so it's a matter of that stuffing <laughs> well
0: and it's interesting that they don't they teach us that side very well they drill it into you and they program it into you that you need to maintain your composure and you are in control of the situation they don't talk about on the back end how to process and release it there's there's a disconnect for sharing space for being super tough warrior who can handle anything and control a scene and also human being who needs to process experience feel heal release cry we don't talk about any of that, I think, because we think that shuts this off. But the truth is, both are real. We need to share space for both. It is good to be able to compartmentalize, turn it off, take control. I'm happy that I can do that. I can take a breath and maintain my composure in chaos. But on the back end, we have to feel, honor those, honor those feelings, express them, process them. And culture is shifting a little bit, but I know you and I didn't get any sort of discussion or training like that at all.
1: No, we didn't. As a matter of fact, that stigma that was mentioned in your bio um, is such a real thing, especially in this type, I would say law enforcement, even more than the fire department. Um, that if you express that you're having a difficulty when it comes to your mindset or your mental health, immediately, you know, things change. You're pulled off the road, you know, you're put into specialized training, you're being evaluated. All these different things and so that stigma is a very real thing and you're right we didn't get any assistance in being able to manage it
0: exactly i look at it like if you had a if you were managing a football team and you were this wealthy owner of an nfl team and you knew that your guys had like a an acl that was flaring up you wouldn't put them into practice and have them drive hard because you have so much invested in them you would pull them out you would get them the best rehab they would take the rest that wouldn't be viewed as a weakness it would be viewed as a strength that they would tell their coach they have an injury, and it, when it comes time for game day, I need to be fully prepared. But for us, it's like quite the opposite. They don't want you acknowledging your weakness, which is really a strength if you can reach out for help and say, I'm I'm struggling. And they want to just continue to put you in the game. <clears throat> Excuse me. But that is why our mental health and our suicide rate is astronomical.
1: Yeah, agreed 100%. And I want the listeners to understand that You know, it's not just first responders. It's not police and fire alone um, that are dealing with the significant suicide um, ideology and um, how it's really become something that people are considering more and more. It's everyone. It's not just a single group of people. And so this conversation is not just for first responders. This conversation is about Every single person that is having a struggle anywhere in their lives, really. Would you agree?
0: Thank you for bringing that up. In fact, the people who I speak with, uh, first responders are actually a very small portion of that. Everybody is dealing with big T and little t trauma. Every human being, if you've lived a few decades on this planet, has stacked up well on the small scale, shame and embarrassing things that have happened at work, regrettable actions with your family where you snap at them. We've all experienced, we all grieve, we all experience the loss of loved ones, the loss of pets, financial struggles. The pandemic was exceptionally challenging for everybody. Parenting and marriage very rarely stacks up the way you thought it would be. and you know uh, th- this type of struggle, I think struggling is normal now. Struggling is the new norm. Talking about it isn't quite yet, and I'm trying to change that. But that is definitely a human thing, not a first responder thing. So thank you for saying that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to make sure that the tribe knew that we are talking to them. 100%. We are we talking to every single one of you. and I. And as I say that, it's like I actually get this tug on my heart and I get tears in my eyes because we care. We care about every single one of you. And we see the challenges that you're being faced with. And we just hope and pray that we can bring something to you. That will give you a glimmer of hope and give you maybe a couple action steps, a couple things that you can do to help you wherever you are right now. Um, so, Joey, let's get back to your story because we're going to continue on here. And I know that you've already said, I'll be as vulnerable as you want me to be, Marcy. And he's even going to try to keep it PG-13 because he's not I will always- definitely. Yeah, he's not always that way, so just so you know, um, if you decide that you want to connect with him and work with him in some way or another, he is a bold and blunt and right out there. He's going to tell you the way it is, and he understands that um, language is a is a big aspect of that. So Joey, what was it that really happened that ended your career? And um, can you share some of the compounding circumstances that really led to you being in your car? With a gun in your mouth ready to end it all yes thank
0: you for asking that um in 2005 when i was a police officer i was in a car accident and i broke the side window with my head lost consciousness and had a traumatic brain injury and i recovered well from that i bulged some discs in my neck and i had a neurological disorder moving forward called dystonia and I started having some spasms in my eye and my face after the accident. That's how we started going down the path of diagnosing all of that. Uh, Short story long, I started struggling with chronic pain and weird facial twitches, but they were kept in check by my neurologist. I get uh, therapeutic Botox injections around my eyes to stop the spasms. And I was able to move forward and continue working and just do massage, chiropractic, yoga, all that sort of stuff, and then quarterly Botox injections at the neurologist. Fast forward a few years later, I, I just decided that I, I got so much valuable experience from the police department. I made so many great bonds, um, but I'm a, I'm a harmony guy and there's just a little bit too much disharmony there. And I felt like all the puzzle pieces fit in the fire department. Uh, it was just somebody's chest hurts, you go there, you bring the emergency room to them, you help them out. Somebody's house is on fire, you put it out, they thank you. There's no There's no conflict, there's helping, you know, and so, It takes a special type of person to do both jobs. I felt like my temperament. I was thankful to learn how to be confrontational because I needed that skill, but I don't enjoy confrontation. I'm a loving, you know, teddy bear guy. So I went to the fire department and I was able to keep working. I had some pain. I had those spasms. I've been going to the neurologist for a hundred years. And I started studying to become a fire captain. I was at the phase of my career where I was 15 years in. I liked leading, I liked supervising, I was ready to elevate to the next level. And so I went on this two year journey of self discovery, leadership, principles, values, fire tactics and strategies. And I just hustled for this very competitive promotional exam because there was one promotion on the table, there was like 40 people testing and I just just grinded. And so at this stage of the game, I have a healthy marriage with my wife, Leslie, two little kiddos, two dogs, and I'm testing for fire captain. I take the test. Uh, I beat everybody except for one person. So this one guy gets promoted and now I'm number one in line to get promoted. And there is a fire captain who's retiring in a few months. So I have her spot. So they put me in my own firehouse. I have my own fire truck. I have my crew. I'm leading dudes into burning buildings. I'm kicking ASS and saving lives. It is awesome. I'm thriving. I'm in my element. I've worked so hard. I'm at the pinnacle of my career. And then I run a call at Sun City Grand Golf Course, and it's just an elderly lady who has a nosebleed. Very, very non-emergent call. And we have to take her in an ambulance to the hospital because her nose needs to get cauterized. And my crew is talking to her husband. He's asking, how can I um, get to the hospital? Where do I find her? They're giving her directions and stuff. Well, I kneel down on the ground and I'm sanitizing our heart monitor cords and putting it it away. So my back is to them. And one moment I'm wrapping up our heart monitor cords and the next minute I am in, I have a high pain tolerance. I've stayed in house fires till my ears are burning. I have all sorts of tattoos. I am in such intense pain and I don't even know what happened. What ended up happening was this elderly gentleman, the patient's husband, he tripped and fell backwards on top of me and he was somewhat obese and his golf bag landed on my head with his body on top of it. And it like, he's like smothering me and my neck is cranked and it, I'm having, when we got tased on the police department, I'm having the same experience going from my neck to my fingers, like 10 out of 10 electrical pain. And I can't even move. And my crew, these big, strong guys are like trying to pull this guy off of me. And it's rocking my neck where I have bulge discs. And it just happened so fast. And so I went back to the fire station and I couldn't get my symptoms in check. My supervisor came by, he said, you got to write this up. I said, I don't want to write this up. I don't want to tell the chiefs. hit by a golf bag by an old guy. Like that's not a, that's not a hero. You know, like we have a stigma about writing injuries up. I definitely don't want to write this one up, you know? And uh, I got, I got forced into doing it. He said, you know, they ran three man for a while. said, I I can't keep short staffing you. I can see your neck is spasming and it's very strange. We got to write this up. You got to go home. So I said, okay, uh, I'll be back in a day or two. I'll, I'll get in touch with my neurologist. I'll get some injections. And I've been through this before. I always get cortisone steroids injections. I'm tough with this stuff. Well, that was the last shift I worked in my career. Over the next few weeks, some very peculiar things happened. My eye spasms that I had been experiencing, they started actually forcing my eyes shut. My jaw started locking so tight at night that I broke four teeth. My neck started uh, getting locked at very peculiar angles and just... The pain was intense and it just happened so fast. And so over the next few weeks, I got into my neurologist. We got some MRIs. He gave me a bunch of additional Botox. Uh, he told me my discs that were bulged had been herniated now, my two discs in my neck. And I was like, okay, what is the game plan? I need to know how I'm going back to work. So that there is no no game plan. You're not going back to work. And that was like the first time I had ever even considered that in that moment, I knew I was hurt, but I didn't think it was going to sideline me. And I was getting ready to get promoted, you know, and uh, everything. My, my kids are coming to the station. Dad's the captain because I was basically not a captain yet, but I was acting in that position. I was getting paid in that position. They're drawing everything like daddy captain on the fire truck. And now it's like, no, you're, you're done. And I was like, what? And I said, you know, I told you this like 10, 15 years ago, this Dystonia that you have, it's progressive. It's not; it doesn't go backwards. And now it's like exacerbated. It's in your neck. Like there's no way you could do your job safely. And I was like, that doesn't sound right to me, you know. And uh he's, he said, I can get you a second opinion, but it's not going to change. So I went to Barrow's Neurological here in Phoenix. It was like a two-minute appointment. The guy says, I 100% agree with you, neurologist. So then I had to call my union rep. He sent me to the fire department doctor. He said the same thing everywhere I went. Everybody says, sorry, like you can't work anymore like first of all where your neck is at if you get hurt worse like you, this is this goes from like slightly limited use of your arm to possible paralysis secondly you can't be in a house fire trying to save people and your eyes start spasming shut it's not safe like there's a million reasons why and at this time like my medications are better now and they're dialed in but my eyes were like so bad i couldn't even watch netflix i couldn't read i couldn't drive my wife and my Fireman friends were driving me to appointments. It's just like constant, it forces you to blink is what happens. And, um, it was just really, really intense pain. And also, I don't know. It was like everything I thought I had planned for at this promotion, we had a date for it was not only not happening, but no more work was happening and no more money either. So, uh, you know, I was about to get a promotion, make a lot more money and, it's hard when, you know, inflation and wife, kids, dogs, like I was finally getting, you know, financially secure in my life and everything. And so, um, short story long, there was like six months of doctor's appointments and fire department, pension boards and, uh, logistical issues. Uh, but the, the week I was supposed to get promoted, I medically retired. So oh. that's, that, that, that's the beginning of what led me towards, uh, the day where I was suicidal. If, uh, did you want to I talked for quite a while there.
1: Did yeah, you want to interject at all? Yeah, I do. And, you know, Joey, I mean, there are so many different aspects to this, and I've been through it uh, to a certain extent. And so I understand that it's not just the physical pain. It's not just, um, you know, the worry around how you're going to provide for your family, but it's your identity. Your identity was stripped from you without permission, right? And what you thought, and I'm putting quotes air quotes around thought was your purpose was suddenly gone yes thank you for saying that yeah and and what do you do with yourself you try to exist right but really you're just managing things you're managing your pain and a lot of the times it's not done very well but this changed joey this changed your viewpoint on yourself and you were confused on who you even were. and I can speak this way because i've I've been there. I've done this. i've I've felt it. And my heart just I just have this just compute, complete complete um, honoring of where you were at that I also know that it wasn't just you that was affected, that your family um, was right there and seeing everything that you were going through, the trauma that was physical, emotional, mental, um and just all the way around, spiritual even, um, affected your family. So can you please share what, what went on at home after all of this tragedy?
0: Okay, So my wife drove me to my final pension board hearing meeting where they retired me. And I was in such emotional turmoil that I couldn't eat anything. I had thrown up in the morning. She drove me there. They reviewed the medical records, and all in favor of retiring. Joseph, I I, I I, hear my wife sobbing. I'm trying to figure it out. Like, this is over. We're driving home. Uh, I, I start talking to my wife and just like replaying my career and everything that you just said, what I thought, the idea, the expectations of what I had and everything that was missing. And I just started sobbing. I like snot nose, blubbering, crying. I, I it was so emotional. And then she's sobbing. Her identity is wrapped up in being a fire wife too. My kids are at the fire station every shift. You know what I mean? And, uh, and I get home and I'm, I'm in, I have emotional skills now that I didn't have then. I didn't know how to sit in that. It was so uncomfortable. And I was trying to meditate. I was trying to pray. I was trying to talk to my wife. Nothing was working. So I told my wife, um, let's go pick up the kids. They were at a babysitter. And let's go to a movie. She's like, what? I'm like, I need something to distract me. So, um, I I can't sit in this. I'm so uncomfortable. I can't experience it. I need to do something. So we go pick up my kids. We go see the Lego Ninjago movie. I'm in this movie and I'm trying to feel normal. And and I'm thinking about my career and our finances and my neck and everything that's going on. And, um, I get like my text messages start pinging and it's a, a really good friend of mine's wife. And I'm ignoring it because I'm not feeling good. And I'm trying to like normalize myself for my kids. So that doesn't bleed out onto them. She's like, ping, 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 10 text messages. And she says, this is the day I medically retired. She says, Joey, you know, I need to get a hold of you. I need to get a hold of you. It's very urgent, obviously. And so finally another text pings up. I text her, Hey, now is not a good time. I can't talk right now. And she says, did you hear about Dan? I said, no. And so I step outside and this is the day I'm medically retired my best friend's wife calls me to tell me that he was in a fatal car accident the night before and was hit by a tow truck and had passed away. As right when I was already thought I couldn't sustain any more emotional trauma. And I was a mess the day, the day at the movie theater. Second time I vomited that day. I like had to run into the, I started like the, my world was spinning and, uh, you know, I I ran to the bathroom thrown up crying. I was praying. I just was in despair, utter despair. And we got home and the following several months, I can't exactly piece together for you the exact timeline of how these events transpired, but my daughter's behavior started changing significantly. My daughter was six years old at the time and my son was four. And within a few short weeks, my mom who had had early onset dementia progressed to the point where she no longer recognized me or my kids either. So my friends passed away who my kids consider like an uncle. Grandma no longer recognizes them. My wife's mother passes away from cancer and her father gets a cancer diagnosis independently of each other. Both of her grandparents pass away. So we're, we're sitting there at the table telling my kids, daddy's no longer a fireman. Grandma Jan doesn't recognize you and you can't be around her anymore. Papa's passed away. Nini has passed away, like everything. And then death notifications to children are very challenging, even if you're not in a physical state where you've just lost your career and your own best friend. it's To watch their little heart's break was terrible over and over again. And we just kept getting hit with calamity after calamity. Notice a lump on my dog's leg. She gets diagnosed with cancer. Two weeks later, my other dog, a lump on her face, cancer. Also, both of the dogs have terminal diagnoses. One of the dogs passed away that was so hard on me and the children all of this is going on at the same time my life was like perfect and then every day was a new catastrophe and so my daughter my sweet little baby girl she starts having major outbursts and when i say outbursts i mean like she's a six-year-old girl and she starts biting teachers hissing spitting breaking Very, very violent, beating her brother up. And this was out of the blue, very rapid onset. So we weren't used to this. And we're also trying to manage finances and all of the other things that I just mentioned to you. And she gets into these like big time, we call it in the red, in the red. And then when these incidents were over, she would tell us that she hates herself and she wants to die. And so it was very, very painful. And so we start getting into. Child psychologists and therapy and different things for her, and we're at, we're at so many different doctors. I'm trying to figure out. They're telling me about the surgery I need. One doctor's telling me don't do it. Another one's telling me do it. So we're trying to figure all this out. And um, and every single counselor tells us what your daughter is experiencing is normal. Her dad's identity just got lost. Dad's not throwing her around and playing with her anymore. Grandma's dead. Great grandma's dead. Great grandpa's dead. Uncle's dead. Dog is dead dog is dying, other grandma doesn't recognize her. They're like, this is trauma for a child. You know, her whole world is unpredictable now. And everything that she thought was normal is not. And so what she's experiencing is difficult, but it's normal for a kid who's experienced trauma like that. And so the only thing that you can do is work on your own emotions and regulate your own emotions. This is the first taste I got of being taught about emotional regulation um is help her label and name her feelings don't try to problem solve sit in her feelings with her model your mirror neurons by taking a breath relaxing your body showing her that everything is okay and leaning into this basically is all you can do and that's a very helpless feeling to be told that there's no answer to it and it was just very painful her little spirit was just entirely her childhood was just gone to like just broken she went from like in the sweet little happy kid to like Linda Blair exorcist style fugue rages to shame and depression at six years old. Like it's just she was gone instantly. And um we were basically told it's normal. We're sorry, but there's nothing you can do but work on your own emotions and ride this out. And this is also accumulating like my medical pension I'm very thankful for it but it's half of my income and these counselors that are good counselors for kids are not covered under insurance especially when you retire and you don't have good insurance neither is cancer treatments for my dog so like I'm I went from having a savings account to having no savings account to having credit card debt to having a home equity loan and the debt is piling up every day is some sort of emergency in my household and my wife a lot of pressure and uh And it just was so rapid, sudden, very jarring. And my wife did not handle it well. Um, She is on a similar path to I am. She is healed now. She shares her story with everybody. She's going to come on your show. I have full disclosure and permission to share anything and everything I want. She talks openly about this stuff. She has bipolar disorder. And for years and years and years, she managed it without a problem. Slightly manic and depressive, slightly. Food, exercise, sleep certain medications, therapy, kept it in check. Like like it really didn't affect our life. It was part of her life, but she had it in lockdown. Well, that changed when all of these circumstances began unfolding. My daughter's behavior began triggering my wife's behavior. So instead of softening up, she was raging at my daughter. My daughter, I would wake up every morning to the two of them fighting each other. And we learned later, my, my wife had a very traumatic childhood and was never emotionally nurtured. And she has bipolar disorder. It's very common if anybody's listening, you know the right thing to do is to soften up with your kids, but they trigger your unnurtured inner child. And so if you rage back at your kids, there are remedies for that, but there is no shame or judgment involved in that equation. That is so common and so normal for your children to trigger you. And so that's what happened. So I ended up playing referee a lot between my kids and my wife or she would vacillate to like on the couch or depressed. Like, so now dad's no longer a fireman. Mom is yelling or on the couch. Everybody's dying. My son now gets beat up by my daughter because she started being violent with him. So he's like not feeling safe in his own house. And my dogs are dying. Everything is effed
1: up. Shame and guilt come into play.
0: You know, for me, I felt um, definitely those are, painful emotions um i i don't know if those are the right words for what i was feeling at that moment i feel like failure i guess shame and guilt are a different word i guess you're right but like i felt like i was failing everybody even though i knew i wasn't i didn't have anything to do with those deaths or with my injury or with my wife or with my daughter but like i was the rock you know what i mean and i was the superhero in my house and now I was the budgeter. I kept the house. I did everything. And now everything that I'm responsible for is in total chaos and falling apart. And it's not my job to fix everything, but I didn't know that at the time. And I just like my son doesn't feel safe in his own home. My daughter is falling apart. My wife is entirely incapacitated and I am hurting so bad. Like, I didn't realize how attached I was to everybody doing well until nobody was doing well. And my heart was just shattered and I I didn't even get to go to my friend's funeral. I didn't have the money to fly out there. I couldn't leave my family. I couldn't really spend any time with my mom. I couldn't do, I mean just so many things happened so quickly and my heart, like every day I woke up just wondering like, can my heart break anymore? And it just kept every day was more heartbreak, you know, and just like more loss and I, I started going to therapists and they started telling me i got told a handful of times like you're not able to process one circumstance of grief because three more keep piling up and you can't get to the grief and the trauma if you're putting out little spot fires in your house so i had three counselors tell me i wish i could help you i don't really know what to tell you and like that's a very helpless feeling when you go to re- you go to reach out for help and they say sorry like there's nothing you can do right now like you can't take space away from your daughter right now to heal because you, she needs you and you're intervening between her and your wife. But grief, when your best friend dies in a traumatic mangled car accident needs processing, but you can't process that when your son is biting his fingernails down to the bone, your daughter's punching him in the face, your wife's screaming at your son and you got an appointment with a surgeon. Like there's no way to sit down and process the grief of your career. That's lost. So it was just like several months, maybe a year of just like, Every time my phone rang, I thought somebody was going to tell me somebody new died, and half the time it it was true. It actually happened. Started getting scared to answer the phone. Yeah. This is like I'm so I'm so brave, you know. I run into house fires and people are running out. I'm scared to check the mail. I'm scared to answer the phone. I'm scared to wake up, you know. And um, it was uh, it was very very hard. And I used every bit of grit and resolve I had to tell myself the way I used to tell myself when I was running on shin splints in the academy: push through, you can do this. Push through. Kept telling myself, you get through today. You know, you can get, you can, you can hug your daughter while she's trying to bite you. You can calmly tell your wife, how can I help while she's yelling? At you. you can put your son on the headphones and get him away from everybody. You can go to this vet appointment. You can, you can do this. You can do this. I kept telling myself, you can make it through. It just kept getting harder and harder and harder. And um, I think I have huge shoulders and I have a very large capacity to endure suffering. But everybody has a tipping point. And so to get to, unless you want to, if you have any questions, I spoke a lot again there, but I can kind of tell you. I
1: want you to continue with your tipping point because really anything that I would interject here is just going to divert. So continue. Okay. (laughs) So,
0: so this went on for like six months to a year like this. And then uh, one day, I don't know why it wasn't anything more than what I just told you, just like I had a day, like all of these days, and I I hit my tipping point and I no longer could sustain what was happening physically in my body or mentally in my mind. And I don't remember what preceded this event, some sort of spot fire in my house that I put out, I'm sure. Some sort of day with terrible chronic pain, some sort of doctor telling me he can't help me something. And I started having, what I would probably think of as like a panic attack. My, which is wild because like on the fire department we're kind, but you don't have a lot of empathy for people who have panic attacks when it's your third call after midnight and you're like, I oh, suck it up. I don't treat people that way. I'm just being honest. That's the type of thing that happens in the fire truck. That that I have a whole new. God gave me a lot of empathy for other people who are struggling. Like it, it's very real physiologically. My heart started beating so fast but it felt like somebody was hitting me with a sledgehammer in my chest. And it wasn't just in my mind. I could see my heart beating through my chest. Or excuse me, like I could see, my, see it physically. And my breathing started like hyperventilating. And I was clear of mind trying to tell myself, take a deep breath, calm down the way I tell my daughter when she, you're okay, like soothing myself. And it wasn't okay. I couldn't override it. I couldn't do anything. I just out of breath, like I was running a marathon. Felt like somebody was beating my chest like a sledgehammer. I broke out into hives. My whole body was red with hives. And um, I started, I think I mentioned this to you before, I started seeing red. I thought that was a figurative statement. I don't know the science behind what happens, but that's a real thing. I saw a hue of red in front of me. And I had a ring in my ears. I couldn't hear, see. I was. I felt like I was drowning or suffocating or like... I don't know, like I I couldn't be in my body or my mind anymore. I went, I would say temporarily insane, I think. And I lost a lot of time. I don't know exactly what happened, but I left the house. I share this story. I have to relive the trauma when I share this story a little bit and I do it. I, I wanna give a trigger warning to anybody who's listening before I do, I will keep it PG-13. But if you've experienced anything like this before, this could trigger you. So please be careful as you listen to it. And I've gotten used to enduring the emotions of it, but if I get a little choked up, it's it's a very it's worth it to me to relive it, to share it with people because I think we need awareness because I survived it. And so I think we need to share what it's like, but it's hard for me to get through. So I I drove to a parking lot. I don't even know where. It's not nowhere that was familiar to me. It was an empty parking lot. And I was driving and I was breathing and I was like, my heart was racing and my ears were ringing and I just couldn't, I, I honestly felt like I was in so much pain, like my hand and my face were on a hot stove and I wasn't like, this is the easy way out. I, I want to kill myself. I needed to get out of the pain. I needed to come up for air. I needed a break from what I was experiencing and I couldn't catch that break. And I, didn't make a logical decision to kill myself i think a lot of people think suicidal people are selfish i i know i don't think it i know it i've heard it so many times i've heard it because we've lost a lot of brothers and sisters how could he do that he's doing that to his family i'm here to tell you the thinking rational mind is gone and You can't drown yourself in a swimming pool. You have to come up for air. That's the truth because our survival mechanism is our deepest rooted survival mechanism. You literally can't hold yourself underwater until you die. To pull that trigger, you are insane because you are overriding your deepest impulse, which is to survive. So it is have empathy on people who are in this situation and have grace and love. I'm sorry if you've lost anybody to suicide, but know that they were not being selfish to you. They didn't want to harm you. They were hurting so bad that they couldn't handle it anymore. And I didn't want to leave my family. I didn't want to do any harm to them. Um, I wasn't even able to think about them. I felt like some, I was getting just punched by Mike Tyson over and over again is what it felt like. And I just needed a second of air. And so I'm sitting in this parking lot. I'm in my forerunner. I'm alone. I'm in an unfamiliar environment. I feel like physiologically entirely messed up. And I grab my gun out of my glove box and I'm holding it and i'm like wrestling with myself i don't have my gun to my head it's in my lap and i have my finger on the trigger and i'm just the only thing i can think of is this is the only way out this is the only way what's even weirder is this is the only way i can make it through this is what i thought almost like killing myself would help me to survive that's how backwards and illogical my my mind was was this was my way to get through this not out of this and I was bawling. I was crying because I knew I had to kill myself and I didn't want to die, but I knew I had to. It was so weird. And I knew what it was going to do to my family, but I knew that I couldn't endure anymore. And I just kept bringing the gun up and putting it down and bringing it up like I was having like a wrestling match with myself. And then I put the gun in my mouth and I had my finger on the trigger and I was just sitting there alone in a parking lot. Crying with my gun in my mouth. I can still taste it. And I had started to put pressure on the trigger. And I just knew this is it. I have no choice. I have to do this. Like I was possessed. And I have no idea how. I I don't know how. But I meditate a lot. And I was trying so hard to catch my breath the whole time. And I couldn't. But I just got one breath. One deep meditative breath. I was able to do it. As I was applying pressure on the trigger. Just... Was able to fill my lungs up with air. I was able to relax my body and create just a split second of space between my pain and my hand and my thoughts. And I was able to get the gun out of my mouth. And once I did, it was like I was in a trance that was broken. I threw it back in the glove box, and I literally felt like I couldn't get away from it fast enough. Like I want, I, I, like it was an enemy that almost killed me. Like, and I, I pushed my door open. And I like used my legs to propel myself out of my car in an attempt to escape my gun. And I flew out of my forerunner and I landed on my back, boom, on the concrete. And I just rolled over. Here we go. I'm talking about vomiting again. I started throwing up like my body was wrecked and my mind was gone. And I was just like throwing up until there was nothing left, just like dry heaving and retching and it was hurting my neck and my neck hurt from falling out of my truck and i was just a total mess i was a huge mess but i survived thank god and and i don't know how to explain this but i knew i would not kill myself ever like i knew it not intellectually but like in i knew it i knew like that was it that almost happened that will never happen again that's not an option anymore I wasn't even aware that was an option to begin with I'm so thankful I survived it and it won't happen again but I didn't know how that was going to take place because nothing had changed in my life everything was still the way it was I didn't have an answer or solved any of the problems and I knew I couldn't get out of it and I just started praying so hard like help me that was my prayer (laughs) please help me I'm tapping out. These are the exact words I'm quoting myself. This is what I said in that parking lot. I am tapping out. I can't I can't take this. Fine. I won't kill myself. I won't do it. Obviously, you spared me. Thank you, but help me. I can't do it. I can't. I know you're calling me to do it, and I cannot do it. I'm not capable of enduring this. Help me. And I felt comforted. I felt like God was going to get me through it. I didn't know how, but I knew. I, I had a deep knowing that i was called to survive and to get healthy and to protect my family and to heal i had no idea how and so i called my friend brandley he's a fireman and i just said hey man i almost killed myself will you take my gun from me i don't even want to be near it and i went to his house and he took it and he hugged me and we cried and stuff i called my counselor said i need some more help and I went home, <laughs> back to business as usual, back to the chaos. And I don't remember how I pieced myself together or how I walked in because I had throw up on me and I was a mess. I don't remember if my family is home. I don't really remember a lot about what happened that day after that. Can I take a break real quick? I need to blow my nose and compose yes, myself. Go I'm going to put ahead. you on mute here. Okay, hang on. Yeah, you
1: were so good. Oh, my gosh. And while you're doing that, Joey, I just want you to know that I am so grateful. <laughs> I am so grateful. Well, first of all, and the audience already knows I'm a total God girl, and I believe that God is in control of everything and that he brings us to things and then he can help us through things if we allow him to. And I know that he was with you that day. And I know that when you put up your prayer, you know, he was just waiting. And, and please, this is something that is such a fine line because I don't want anyone to think that God puts you into circumstances that is going to hurt you or going to be painful or is going to cause you distress and anguish to get to the point to where you may want to consider suicide. No, God doesn't do that. The world does that. And we have compounding circumstances. As you've been listening to Joey's story here, he had compound on compound on compound on compound. He had everything coming down on his shoulders. And he said he has the, the widest shoulders and he can handle so much, but we're not meant to do things alone. We aren't meant to shoulder everything by ourselves. And when you threw that prayer up there, you were asking Him, "Help me with this load." And Radical surrender.
0: I yes, surrendered to Him, one hundred percent. Yes. I. Uh, and by the way. I'm going to take one moment to blow my nose. And if you hung with me on that, I have to tell you, there's a beautiful rainbow after the rain coming. That's as hard and bad as my story gets right there. Just I so you know. can't
1: wait. I can't wait. One, of course you do. Go well, for it. Go for it. One minute.
0: I'm sorry. Thank you.
1: Welcome back.
0: Thank you for that. Okay. So. Do you want me to continue with the story or did you have any questions before I move forward with how we got dug our way out of this?
1: Yeah, you know, I really want to. uh, First of all, I just want the audience to know that it's like when you share your heart the way Joey is sharing with you, um, it's a sign of strength. It's a sign of caring for those people that he knows are going to hear this um, because I, I know. And as I mentioned in the very beginning, stories save lives. First of all, it will connect you with another human being that has been through struggle, and it will help you understand that you're not alone. And you will understand that even when you think that you are at your wit's end and your strength is gone, it's not. So please join.
0: You're definitely not alone, and you can endure so much more than you could ever imagine, and you can conquer, and you don't have to do it alone. And I think that's a value in podcasts like this. Because I listened, nobody in my circle could relate to what I was going through. And I didn't, I wasn't really able to socialize with anybody during this time period, but I listened to so many podcasts where people opened up about their trauma and I felt so connected and like, okay, I don't know anybody who's experienced stuff like this, but there's thousands of people pouring their heart out talking about it around the world. That's why this mode of communication is so beautiful. And part of why I started my own podcast and why I'm so thankful we connected here. Yeah. So I got home and I did a few things i purchased every book i could on suicide recovery and post-traumatic growth and my counselors said they couldn't really help me i took myself to school and i was going to be my own counselor and i was going to do things the way i always had done it which was kind of leaning on myself but i not in an uh, just like i got this but like i'm going to learn i'm going to grow i'm going to conquer this goal my goal now is to survive and to thrive and I don't, I don't mess around when there's goals involved. And so I went 110%. I started reading like textbooks, like psychology textbooks that were designed for people who were in like graduate school. Like I went bananas trying to understand my own psychology. Like I said, I was already into meditating. I purchased every masterclass I could on how to calm. The, I understood the integration between the mind and the body and how to regulate your nervous system and how to turn pain signals down and how to cope with stress through different I started meditating like an hour a day. I'm like a monk. It's ridiculous. And for somebody who's hyperactive like me, that sounds crazy, but it is an amazing tool. And it's not as complex or weird as it sounds. And I bought every textbook I could. Uh, There's like lots of different workbooks that you can do with your children for anxiety and anger. And we were just learning all about our emotions together. And I had a very difficult conversation with my wife. And I told her that her drinking is no longer tolerable. And she never was a drinker. She started drinking during all of this. And her manic depressive uh, behavior is, I I love her so much and I have so much grace and empathy, but it's not sustainable for our household. And I don't want to do this alone, but I'm unhealthy, you're unhealthy, and we need to get healthy for ourselves and for our kids. And she stepped up to the plate and she checked herself into a place here called The Meadows in Phoenix. And she unpacked so much pain and trauma and did so much hard, emotional work. I thought she would never do it. She, she jumped right into it and she leaned in like she turned, I mean, it it was a process, but like her investment, her willingness to fight for herself and for our family was amazing. And she wanted to get help too. She just didn't know how she was broken and it was very uncomfortable for her. And so in the summer of 2020, She checked herself into this place and she didn't live there. She was there like six to eight hours a day. And while she was there, I was working around the table with my kids. We woke up and we did like family yoga, family meditation, emotional workbooks. And I was learning so much about my own emotions, but also from, it's crazy. The stuff that you teach about children, how to regulate and process and label and name and journal that had put in, excuse me, put a narrative to your story and all of that. it, It transcends. Gender and age and demographic, emotions are emotions, and we all have different trauma, and there's different ways to get emotionally fit, but there is so much crossover in the human experience. So, my wife would come home and I'd be doing group work with her group, and I would be learning so much about her trauma processing. I was learning so much as I was teaching my children, I was learning so much as I was doing all these master classes. I just kind of was like, I'm retired from the fire department now, and my job is to learn how to be healthy. And how to have so much resilience that I can withstand anything, no matter what, that I will never fall. I will. I can't get to that place again. I started treating my suicide recovery like I did, like my my cousin and my friends who are alcoholics do. Like I, they don't go to bars. I don't. I don't do. I don't not do it a day. I don't. I journal every day. I gratitude practice every day. I pray every day. I process my feelings and I experience them as they come up every day. I meditate every day. I'm religious about it. We were talking about how we don't like religion. I'm religious about my habits because they keep me healthy and happy and they fill my cup up so I can pour out to my loved ones. And I'm religious about my emotions and, but not in the weird controlling way, just in the fact that I love it. I feel good when I'm healthy and happy and I don't even want to step one toe in the direction that I was in. I hate depression and I hated being suicidal. It was terrible. And I want to be able to teach and learn and model and grow. So we were doing this as a family. We were like on this growth journey and the behavior was still happening with my daughter. But at least.
1: So, so you know, talk to us a little bit more about your daughter and also, you know, what the lessons are that you have learned about the importance of having a high emotional quotient. I mean, we talk about IQ all the time, but EQ is um, so important especially when you're traveling through chaos like you were
0: thank you for asking that eq is the most important thing and the beautiful thing about it is i don't really think you can improve your iq i think you're probably born with a certain iq level your emotional intelligence is a muscle that you can grow you have no idea it is a hundred percent within your power it is these are it's skills it's skill sets that anybody can master and the first step is being aware of it just knowing that your emotions exist and that your challenges are real and that they need to be processed and so as my daughter's behavior continued to remain the same and she was getting kicked out of school a lot there was all sorts of crazy stuff going on but how we responded was different i learned to really do what those counselors had mentioned to us so while she was in the fugue state i was so practiced at meditation i i could I'm not comparing a child to an animal, but if you have like a rabid dog, if you start going at it, you're, it's not, you're not going to win that dog's trust over there in fight or flight or freeze. You have to relax and they can sense the energy. It's, you know, and a child who's in the red or my mom who has dementia or my wife who is volatile with bipolar disorder, anybody who is emotionally dysregulated, the logical portion of their brain, what I learned is, is temporarily out of order. So you can't offer them a problem solve. You can't offer them a perspective reframe. You can't argue with them. You can't fight fire with fire. You have to fight fire with water. And so you have to meet them with emotional nurturing and your own emotional regulation. And the same reason why you sneeze when somebody sneezes, that's a mirror neuron. We have different behaviors that are contagious. Well, resting your face, relaxing your body, soothing your emotions, softening up, that's contagious to somebody who's emotionally dysregulated. And so I learned that the more hot she got, the more calm I had to get. Same thing with my wife, when she was dysregulated, it was very challenging. But when she was screaming at me, our mutual therapist told us, told me to take a breath, relax, just tell her, how can I help? And my daughter, I would tell her, I'll tell you what, this is a a pinnacle of as bad as it got my daughter. I cannot believe how much little kids remember. Holy cow, they remember everything. She told me this story the other day without me. I would never bring this story up to her attention because I would be afraid it would cause shame or things of that nature. I don't, I don't talk to her about She talks about it. She's really recovered from it. She wants to get on this podcast and share. But she was in such a state one day that she ran into the kitchen and she grabbed a steak knife. And she and I are tight. Like of everybody in the household, we have the tightest bond. It was weird that she would direct her rage at me. She didn't mean to. She hated it. It made her hate herself. Um, But she ran at me with a steak knife, and she's, like, staring at me and holding the steak knife, like, up to my neck. And I didn't try to take, like, every cop instinct in me wants to take that weapon. You know, no. I could see the fear and the sadness in her eyes. She wasn't really mad. And I just, I got down on her level, and she's like, hold this knife at me. And she's screaming. And I just told her, Sophie, I'm not your enemy. This pain is your enemy, and we're fighting it together. You're okay. You're safe. No, I got you. And she dropped the knife and hugged me, you know, and then tell me, I'm so sorry, Daddy. I hate myself. No, no, this is not your fault, you know, and just sharing with her that we are not our emotions and we are not our worst moments and we are not our behavior. We, we are all valuable human beings and we all have challenges and difficulties and weaknesses. And this is where that EQ really comes into play because you can share space for all of that and to teach them how to put labels on their emotions and how to, how to regulate. So I learned, like you said, ask what I learned. I learned how to soften up. I learned how to help her name it to tame it. I feel angry. I feel scared. Your brain will turn down the volume by like 50% or more on a feeling if you just give it the right name. I feel ashamed, but we don't have an emotional vocabulary because we have standardized testing in school, but we don't talk about this stuff. That's why I have that ebook with the feelings wheel. And you can, you know, you can can sit down with my son and say, what are you feeling? Well, I don't know. But you look at that wheel and all of a sudden your brain will associate, oh, I'm feeling shame, feeling mad. You know what I mean? And get used to being aware that you're having an emotional reaction, taking a breath to create space in your mind putting a name to that feeling and then doing any number of exercises to release that negative feeling like journaling venting to a friend writing it down crying. there's a number of different ways to do it um but just getting in the practice of being emotionally aware and emotionally fit can really i mean it, it's a game changer for a number of different ways and so we were doing all that and then it wasn't the behavior wasn't stopping, and I just knew like I knew this wasn't behavioral. I could tell like I, by the way, I think ninety nine percent of the parents would have probably like punished and, and scolded their kids because probably she would have
1: on medication, she would have been on medication
0: she was she was so out of control, and it was the right thing to do to just teach her body emotions and, and love her through it. and uh, I didn't know it at the time, but we ended up getting a call from a school psychologist. Who said, hey, because we have like 504 plans. Well, she's a doctor all the time. It's normal. but We just keep getting told the same thing over and over again. Well, different things. It's oppositional disorder. She has eighty-eight. They gave me a 100 different diagnoses. trauma, you know, but um, even the medication, um, they're like, hey, maybe this medication would work, but also it stunts their hormones in puberty. And I'm like, oh, my, this is not, help me, <laughs> you know? And, uh, but then we got a call from a school psychologist. It's not even one of these high-end paid ones who we went through. And they said, you know, hey have you ever tested Sophie for sensory processing disorder? And that was not something I had ever heard of. We had heard every diagnosis under the sun, but not that I had never even heard of it and said, you know, we've been tracking like every time she has an issue at school, it's preceded by like, she she has these weird issues, fight, flight or freeze hiding under a desk like this, trying to escape the school, literally running away while the principal goes and gets her from running into a busy street. And then Kissing and biting and spitting and fighting. She's like seven at this point. Um said every every time it's preceded by something, the fire alarm, another student yelling at her. one time the student dropped a lunch tray. She had been this awesome lady had been tracking this stuff and said, you know, I really think that you should look into this because it's like every time. And then we started kind of piecing the puzzles together. And we're like, oh my gosh, same thing at home. We could kind of, I, I thought I had noticed everything, but there was a lot of signals that this was going on that I didn't notice. So we took her to a different doctor who specialized in this. And she turns out she had what they call sensory processing disorder. She's a hyper responder to senses and loud noises and The seams on her socks feel like they're scratching her and all these different things. And it turns her nervous system on into fight or flight. And so it really wasn't a behavioral issue. And so we get these socks that are designed for autistic kids. She she didn't have any autism. That's the thing that was so weird about it. It's pretty rare, I guess. But like she's totally socially high functional. So there's no... She just, but like, it's very common with autistic kiddos. They have this too. She just had, he said it could even, she can grow out of it. Like sometimes just that part of the brain is a developmental delay. Well, anyways, we get her headphones at school. They start giving her advance notice on fire alarms. We get her these socks. We start really catering to her when she needs the water temperature in the shower, just right. And like overnight, all of that stuff stopped just like instantly something that I thought was a life sentence it just stopped and she's back to normal, normal. I hate saying that word, but you know what I mean? Back to what's
1: normal. What's normal. Yeah. And and
0: I don't want to say that some kids who have difficulties aren't normal. I didn't mean like that, but like, she's just back to herself. Like she's, she's like not yelling again. We go a day, two days, three days, no temper tantrum, no flare up, no call from the school. She's laughing, you know, smiling. And, uh, these are tears of joy. People. I don't thankful. Uh, this is not the, the trauma tears. Um, and she's like, thanking us. Thank you so much for your, your. My life is so good now. And I'm like, I'm not taking that. Thank you. I'm so sorry. I didn't catch this sooner. For like three years, you've been living like this, you know, like how helpless of a feeling and hating yourself for it. Cause I don't know. So,
1: and her but really, been, her really not having the understanding of her emotions and being able to deal with her emotions. I mean, she's only. Six, seven years old at this time. You know, she's she, just now learning it, right?
0: <laughs> exactly. But as we learned, because we thought it was an emotional issue, and because she hated the behaviors, she was all in on the emotional learning. So what happened was, she is more emotionally intelligent than the vast majority of my friends who are my age or older, more my oh, yeah. parents or anybody. She knows everything about how to process trauma, how she's feeling, how to express emotions, how to grieve how to label her feelings, all this stuff that we worked on. And then she got her sensory stuff regulated. And now she's like a little mini adult, like a little psychologist. It's wild. She helps her friends through their emotions. She's so highly emotionally intelligent because I made her do the work when it was not even the right thing to do, but I was desperate. And I thought it was the right thing to do. And she was game for it. And she put all the work in my son too. Um,
1: it was still the right thing to do. It was, still it was, the right thing to no, do. you're right.
0: It just, I mean, we thought we were trying to, plug a hole, but that wasn't really what was causing the problem, but it was the right thing to do. Every kid needs to know how to process their experience and how to have these feelings because it is challenging being a kid these days. You get bullied and all this stuff. I mean, it's crazy. And The world we live in is different.
1: It is. And they're being parented by parents that don't have the EQ, right? Correct. And so I know that we probably have a lot of people listening right now wondering, it's like, okay, so how do I even know if I have a low EQ? What would be some indicators um, of someone with a low EQ?
0: Okay. I have a few lined up for you.
1: Okay. Awesome.
0: Because when you tell people that they don't, first of all, it's not an offensive thing. Don't get defensive. If you have a low EQ, none of us were taught this growing up. It's like saying you don't know how to play baseball when you've never been to a baseball field. Nobody's taught you how to throw a ball. Like there's nothing wrong with you for that, but take some honest, authentic introspection and just answer these questions. These are the questions that I usually ask people. Do you have a deep awareness and understanding of your own emotions, your own strengths, your limitations, your principles, your values, and your passions? And if so, could you rattle them off? Like, could you name five different emotions? Can you name what you're feeling when you feel it? Do you know why you wake up and what drives your passions? Do you know what your values are? Do you know where your limits are? Do you know when you're triggered? Do you know what causes your triggers, how to avoid them? So that's one question, even though that's a big loaded one. Do you have, here's a biggie. Do you have a radical self-confidence and self-acceptance? So like, no matter what other people say or think of you, because haters are gonna hate, let's face it, you know that your value comes from within and it's not diminished by what other people say or do. So you might get your feelings hurt, but it doesn't affect your confidence. You're not seeking validation from other people. When you do make mistakes, because we're all humans and we all screw up all the time, do you have the ability to recognize it, to grow and learn from it, and then to just move past it entirely and forgive yourself and let it go and move forward without giving a second thought. Learn the lesson, acknowledge the mistake, make amends if needed, and then move past it and not sit in shame or regret. Then I have three questions that I ask. So those are questions for you to ask yourself. Then the next question would be, if you could take your loved ones, like your family, the people whose opinions actually matter to you, who you care about, and you weren't in the room, and you weren't going to know the answers, but somebody asked them these questions about you, how would they answer? So would they say, if they're describing dad, for example, does your dad have a huge amount of empathy and sensitivity and concern for other people? Is he able to step outside of himself and share space for other people's experiences and challenges without taking them on? Do you always take responsibility for your mistakes and model accountability? Is it easy for you without aggression or defensiveness to just be like, my bad, I shouldn't have done that. How can I make it right? I'm going to take accountability, not over-apologize for stuff that you shouldn't apologize for and not deny it and be defensive, but just easy, radical accountability. And this is the important one. If your spouse or your kiddos or your best friends were asked to describe you, would they say... That you know how to manage your emotions effectively, keep your composure in difficult situations, and that you're so good at doing that, that you can not only do it for yourself, but you can teach them how to do the same. You have such a broad understanding of your emotions that you can model emotional regulation and articulate and teach them how to do the same. Those would be my, those, that's six questions that I ask people to just honestly ask themselves. And if you didn't answer yes to any of those, that's normal. First of all, that's okay. Second of all, great job for even doing the exercise. That means that you're mature and you're ready to grow and learn. And if you're deficient in any of those areas, that's, that's like an, a military who recognizes a weakness that they have and they learn about it before they go into battle. This is a good thing. Knowing where we need to shore up our weaknesses is beautiful intel. And most of us are deficient in any or all of those areas. It's not bad news. You can shore that up so easily.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's all so good. And it also, I'm like, okay, I need to do some work with Joey. I need to, we, do all, some work.
0: we all do. We all do. It's a, it's a lifelong growing journey, right? There's no judgment involved in this and everybody is at a different place, but these are definitely skill sets that can be improved upon. No problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And no matter where you are in that level, right? There's always another level of improvement.
0: Yes. Well, I like to equate it to being an athlete. So like if you're entirely out of shape, that's okay. No judgment there either. Right but you can start by like, this week, I'm not going to eat McDonald's and I'm going to walk around the block, baby steps. Right. And then you get functional and you're kind of like, you're losing the weight, your blood work is getting better. Well, now I want to kind of start to become athletic. I want to go try CrossFit or whatever it is. Then you take professional athletes or CrossFit people. They want to go from functional to exceptional, right? They're always trying to break records and get bigger, faster, stronger. There's no downside. If it's, it's just like physical fitness, emotional fitness. And If you're at the place where I was, you're like equivalent of having a heart attack and you need a doctor if you're suicidal and that sucks and I'm really sorry and it's time to get help and there's help out there. But you don't want to wait until you get to that place. You want to work on your fitness all the time, just like your physical fitness. You don't want to wait until you've had a heart attack and you got coronary artery disease and then you're like playing catch up and you don't know how long your lifespan is. You want to practice this all the time and it's just like the physical fitness. There's absolutely no downside to practicing this stuff even if you have a pretty good life and you don't feel stressed out first of all you might not know what type of collateral damage you're doing to your family because those little temper tantrums grown-ups aren't supposed to throw temper tantrums very toxic it harms your spouse and your kids and secondly for you if you're here's i could eliminate all of those complex questions and here's how i could ask you if you have a high iq do you get really angry in traffic over stuff that you can't control and it ruins your drive because everybody does and That's not okay. You can't control the fact that people drive like idiots, but you can control how you respond. And if you can recognize the trigger, take a deep breath, get back to the music and not get into a road rage and not get all tense. The world is a better place and you are a happier person. There's no doubt if you if you work on this stuff and your life falls apart like mine, you're going to have built up your resilience and your equanimity so big that you can handle it. Or hopefully that doesn't happen to you and you just maximize your happiness and you live with radical joy and everybody loves being around you because you make them feel seen, heard, loved, valued and validated, there's really no downside to working on your emotional fitness.
1: No, I agree 100%. Um, And that was like one of the next questions I wanted to ask you is, is there any downside? And you just answered that. So thank you. It's just a matter of um, taking the time and doing those baby steps. Like you said, it's like, we're not gonna be from point A to point B overnight. Giving yourself grace,
0: yes, but
1: recognizing the work is worth it.
0: It's very important. And the only downside I would say, it's not a downside, but I want to acknowledge, particularly if you've had childhood trauma or you're working through the grief of a loved one, like, hey, what did you do when your dad passed away? Well, I didn't really do anything. I just kind of moved past it. Guess what? There's some grief stored up in there and it needs to be processed. And I don't want to say it's a downside to working through it, but you start writing letters to your deceased loved ones and you read them and you process that stuff. It's very painful. The only way out is through, but it's like walking through fire. And so when you're reliving your childhood trauma or the way I just relived my, that was therapy, by the way. When I talk through that, I'm going to feel better when we get off this call. But you could see how painful it was for me to walk through it. I'm comfortable sitting in the pain, but it's not a downside necessarily. But I want to acknowledge that doing the work is painful sometimes and it is hard sometimes too. But what in life that's worth any valuable isn't painful or hard nothing you know best things in life aren't free or easy you know so that would be the only downside not a downside but i want to acknowledge the challenge of it and like you said incremental baby steps start with start small have grace on yourself none of us were taught this stuff growing up
1: no not at all and you know it's like looking back when you think about the difficulty of the journey and that it takes going through it to really be able to grow from it Looking back at everything that you've been through, is there anything that you wish just would not have happened?
0: That's a very complex question to answer because my perspective is that we're so blessed to be where we are and we we couldn't have everything that we have right now if we hadn't gone through what we went through. So I don't want to dismiss my pain or anybody else's pain, but i would I wouldn't trade probably a second of my journey because my children are so well prepared now, but I wish my friends didn't have to die. And I, I wish my family didn't have to hurt so bad. Of course, if I could remove their pain, I, I, there's no way to get to where we are without it. the journey unfolded in the exact way it had to be. And I'm thankful for every lesson and every interaction and everything that happened along the way. But I have to share space for the fact that I, I hate that people are hurting and that hearts were broken. And I feel bad for me, too. My, my heart was shattered, you know, and um my dogs went through a lot and they died and that sucks. And like, I mean, no, I wouldn't change anything, but I want to honor and acknowledge the pain and the heartbreak. Emotions are complex. We need to share space for both. I wish nobody was hurting and I wish we didn't have heartbreak. I'm also astronomically thankful and grateful for my journey and for all the pain that I experienced because it led me to transformational growth and emotional awareness. And like you mentioned at the top of this interview, I lost my identity My identity is bigger than my name or my career. I'm a soul inside of a physical body. I am a radical, amazing human being who's full of love. And I say that with no ego because you are, and so is every single human being who's listening to this. But I had to be severed from that fictitious identity to learn that that was an assignment and assignments come and go, but your identity never changes. You're, You're a human being, you're a high value, high ticket being who was created by the creator of the universe who knows every hair on your head it has nothing to do with whether you're a dad a mom a grandpa a brother a sister a fireman retired that stuff that stuff comes and goes your body my health everybody is gonna we're all gonna get old everything is temporary and fleeting we're all gonna die this physical body's gone but your value and your identity it cannot change it cannot be devalued and i had to lose all of that stuff gain that truth and so no I wouldn't change that or trade it for a second
1: and I knew that would be your answer I knew it (laughs) because I I can look back on my own journey and see the wisdom that was gained right yes and and the understanding and empathy that you know we are here together on this planet at the same time to help each other walk the path because the path is really hard sometimes And when you think about all of the compounding um, circumstances that you went through in the story that you've shared today, it wasn't all your singular pain. It was the pain of your friend's wife, right? It was the pain of all of your friends that lost you as their captain, right? It was the pain of your wife seeing her husband's superhero lost and the compound of your children seeing how it's affecting their mother and their father. So this is not something that was just your pain. It's a shared shared pain. And so going through it together makes your bond stronger, but it gives you the wisdom and the understanding to be able to help other people outside of your immediate reach, which I absolutely love that you are doing that now. I mean, you already shared that you've got a podcast that you're doing, which I love the title of it. Talk to us just a little bit about your podcast and what you've got going on there.
0: Oh, thank you for asking that. It's a passion project. I It's called Grit, Growth, and Gratitude. And I just, I share vulnerably and authentically the struggles that I shared today, but also my earlier struggles as a young man with anger, all of my interactions with different counselors and therapies. And I create little episodes that I, I thought back, boy, what is a, a resource that would have helped me so much along the way in this journey? How can I take all of this pain that I experienced and turn it into purpose and help other people. And so it's it's um, every episode, I try to give somebody an authentic connective story with a real life example, because I am not coming from a place of judgment at all. Like, here's where I struggled with this, but also here's how I overcame it. And I want everybody to walk away after every episode with some sort of easy to do and actionable exercise That will change the way they interact with themselves and the world around them and strengthen their EQ and make them happier and more resilient and learn to love themselves and love others. And all of the stuff that we talked about today, I put it in little 20 minute episodes that are more like themed different meditations, different exercises, different components. We'll talk about anger one day, happiness another day. I share like a very powerful in an episode I have coming up. Um, There's a very powerful exercise. If you lost a loved one to do an expressive writing letter. A lot of times you go to a counselor and they'll have you write a letter to your deceased one. Well, a lot of times people can't afford counseling or they're not comfortable going or they think that sounds weird, but there's so much power in it. But like I share how to write those letters. And then I read one of them that I wrote that week to my mom who recently passed away and I read it on the air and I cry and it's like I'm trying to walk people through it with them i'm trying to go through it with people you know like we're like you said we're walking this path together i'm not looking down or teaching anybody i want to walk this path with other people i want everybody to jump on this happiness resiliency wagon with me
1: i love it and i absolutely love the name of it too it's grit growth and gratitude podcast and i'm sure that you can find that on all of the different podcast platforms um, and then you also have a website, um, and then we're going to talk about your freebie here in just a minute. And by the way, when out tribe, I think I've decided that we might be div- dividing this up into, um, two different episodes. And so I'm not wanting to cut it short whatsoever because Joey has just got a message that needs to be heard by everyone in its entirety. We don't want to cut it out. And as a matter of fact, we're going to be bringing him back. I want to have a little bit more of a conversation, I think about, um, the, this. the, Struggle that your sweet daughter went through because I know there's other parents out there that needs to know more about that. Um, as a matter of fact, I came across a lady just in church two weeks ago that I need to get you connected with. Um, and there are so many people out there that need help with children that they don't want to medicate because they know that it's not something that is a medication um, as the solution, right? And so, and then we're also going to be doing one with um, Joey and with his amazing wife about um you know just really working through ptsd ptsd is a big deal and people don't understand that it's more than just one-time large events that happen to military police firefighters this is something that happens on a daily basis to normal people and it can be compounded as well with different circumstances so all of those things are coming to you guys so i hope that you're excited about that because i am so excited to be able to bring I am too. that yeah it's gonna be so much fun seriously so so much fun so um tell us about your uh website and tell us about how people can follow you where can they find you
0: okay so as you mentioned I have a lot of places but the hub is a website where you can get all of them so you can get the the podcast on any of the platforms but the links to the podcast are all on the website you can get my free ebook on the website you can get li- uh, linked up to my instagram on the website so I'll give you the website here but i will say the absolute best place to connect and follow me is instagram right now i'm growing a community on there i'm very actively engaged i get voice message dms on emotional fitness and different stuff and so we're starting the conversation and if you don't if you have specific questions for me and you don't want to do it publicly that's a great place to communicate with me i share cool i share daily little happiness bite-sized happiness tips and emotional fitness and regulation tips and emotional emotional parenting tips on Instagram. Um, but I also engage um every day on on the direct messages and I'm fielding a lot of questions on mindfulness and meditation and how to process trauma and different things. Not a professional, but just sharing the tools and the exercises I've learned along the way in my journey or being an empathetic ear. So I'm really working to not just try to like get Instagram followers, but we have like an engaged community on there. It's awesome on my page. So all of that can be found on the website. The Instagram handle is at the Joe Spector, T H E J O E S P E C T O R, and the website is the same thing. It's thejoespector.com, T H E J O E S P E C T O R.com, and you can find the free ebook. It's a I I think you have a portion of it for the audience. I really that was the other thing I did. Like I tried my hardest. I've gotten a lot of little free free things from people, some of them have not been helpful. Some of them, it's so helpful. I really put like six months of work into this and I just thought if I couldn't afford counseling and I needed help with everything that I was going through, I, ca- I called it your guide to great growth and gratitude. Like what is a guidebook that I really put a lot of heart into it. And I think it's already helping so many people they're starting to hand it out, the fire department and different things like that. So that's entirely free, grab that, utilize the exercises in there. It's they're game changers for sure,
1: yes, I absolutely love that. And you know what now, tribe, we've got amazing freebies to give out to you from Joey. Um, he wanted to make sure that he provided some amazing steps for you to be able to get on to your e q journey, right? Um, I'm gonna start implementing them myself.
0: I love that. <laughs> because Thank I
1: you. think we we all need it, right? We all need it for sure. So it's a
0: daily practice for me, too,
1: yeah. yeah. well, it's never ending it's never ending because life is just getting more challenging not easier. Yep. Right? So we have to have that EQ in place for sure. So please go to marcynettles.com forward slash freebies for your free guided meditations with Joey as well. So you can actually do some meditations with him. And we're going to provide you with the first exercise and workout from the Your Guide to Grit, Growth and Gratitude as a special gift for all of you that have been listening. And please guys, share this episode out. Share it with just even just one person that you love and care about because everyone is being challenged right now most of the times in silence and alone and so we want to make sure that they aren't alone and that they are connected that they um you know i i had this download from god over an experience i just had that we need to go from being broken to belonging Right, we want you to know that you belong. So please share this episode out, and again, make sure that you go to marcinettles.com forward slash freebies for your free gifts from Joey, and um, be on the lookout for additional episodes from Joey as well as from um, him and his wife. And I think we're gonna do that as a live on Facebook too. That'll be awesome. I love that idea. Yeah, it'll be so much fun. But any final words for the audience, Joey?
0: Yes, I just have three takeaways that I was thinking about as you were speaking there. Number one. Um we mentioned this before but I grew up in a very urban neighborhood and then I went right into the police and the fire department. I never speak in vulgarities like crassly about women or anything like that, but I drop f-bombs left and right in my meditations and in my podcast. If that is offensive to you, please use your discretion while listening and I apologize, but it's very important for me to use my natural vernacular. I use it as emphatic statements, but also because I think I'm trying to cut through the barriers of like when you're teaching meditation, this guy in the monk, like, no, I'm a real dude who uses real talk, but just bear that in mind. Some of my resources, uh, I don't want to say rated R, but probably PG 13 with some F bombs on top of it. So be careful in that regard. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is to your audience, if you hung with me on that uh, story that I told, first of all, please don't suffer or struggle in silence. You're not alone. Second of all, there's nothing wrong with you. And third of all, it, it's an honor for you to share in my story with me so uh, I don't take that lightly and I very much value your time your energy and your emotions and then the last thing is I just want to sh- thank you so much this was a, an amazing experience i I value you so much I'm so thankful to reconnect with you I'm so proud of you for what you're doing here and for you to include me in this process is just such a beautiful gift so Marcy thank you so much for being you and for doing what you do
1: oh you're so welcome and I am so excited thank you for giving that little, uh, warning to about, you know, how real and raw you are because you're amazing. I love you exactly the way you are, but it's good to give people that insight beforehand. Right. But yes. thank you so much, Joey. I am really excited about, um, what we're going to be doing together moving forward and just what you have, um, in your heart for people, you're going to make such a difference in this world. So thank you so much for being here. And again, the title of your episode is You're Sitting With a Gun in Your Mouth, What Now? There is definitely a what now because you're moving forward, baby, and you're gonna bring the universe with you with the, the heart that you have.
0: Can't have the rainbow without the rain.
1: Amen, amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Marcy. Hey, What Now Tribe? I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Please subscribe and let me know with a written review. I'd love to connect. Find me at marcynettles.com for everything that's coming up in 2023. And most importantly, thank you so much for being the very best part of the Your Blank What Now podcast.